Hi, I'm Chrissy. I'm Joss. And you're listening to Breaking the Curtain, the podcast where we interview our theater idols and chat all about the history behind your favorite musicals. So sit back, relax, and and enjoy enjoy the episode. episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking the Curtain. We are going to be reacting to the theater hot takes that you had sent in to us. Thank you so very much for sending those in. They are all going to be anonymous, so don't worry. We won't be saying anyone's name, who they are from. They are completely anonymous. Now, Chrissy, is it hot in here or is it just these takes? Ooh. Joss, how about we just jump into this? Do you want to start us off with our first one? I would love to. All right. So the first hot take of the day is that the Bat Out of Hell Las Vegas cast was awesome. Now, I don't really know if that's a hot take or not. Like, I think that's just the truth. (laughs) Yeah, no, they were super great. And it seemed like it was the first time that the fan base was immediately respective towards a new cast and company. Um, Maybe that's the hot take in there. You know, I feel like there are a lot of bad out of hell hot takes that we could get into, but those are for another day. Definitely. Those are for another day. Maybe we'll do like a bat out of hell hot takes edition that would get us. I would like, get in so much trouble. Podcast. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you to um whoever submitted that. Alrighty. Do you want me to read this next one and then you can react? Yeah, we can take turns. Cool. Okay, so number two is Stunt casting should be given a chance. See, my initial gut reaction is absolutely not, because I am a hater at my core. But, you know, (laughs) it kind of depends on the person. Some stunt casts aren't actually stunt casts, like in my mind, because sometimes Mm. you get stunt casts that are a big name, but they're either really, really good or they're a really good fit for the role they're doing. Like someone like Jinx Monsoon playing Mama Morton. That is a brilliant stunt mm-hmm. cast. And I wouldn't even call Absolutely. it a stunt cast because it's good. For me, I would only use the word stunt cast if it's bad and obviously like a money grab sort of thing. Um, but I guess ultimately I am agreeing with this person and what they're saying is give it a chance because, yeah, maybe it's something great, but it could also be really terrible. You never know. Yeah, yeah, I think this is a good hot take. You know, stunt casting is weird in the sense that they rarely cast someone who is still in the limelight, right? So I think back to Mean Girls on Broadway did a really great job with stunt casting because even though some of the stunt cast artists, if you could call them that, could not sing, um, they were very popular. And that's how you sell tickets to a show that's not selling well. Um, you know, and then there's like stunt casting like Cody Simpson in Anastasia, who was quite popular back in 2011, 2012, but doesn't have that fan base anymore, right? I don't think he has done a tour in years, if I'm not mistaken. I used to be quite a big fan. You know, he also just wasn't spectacular in the role, even though he's an amazing singer. So really, unless you have someone like Justin Bieber or Harry Styles playing I don't know, Fierro and Wicked, uh, it's pointless to cast a D-list celebrity. If you're going to do it, go all the way. Now, JoJo, who just had a fabulous run in Moulin Rouge, is a different story. She walked into a show that was already selling pretty, or you know what, really well, I'd say that, yeah, it, it was selling really well. 
uh, still is. That being said, JoJo has a link to the nostalgia factor, right? That's something that people crave and they chase after. She had also recently re-released some of her biggest hits from the 2000s. And, you know, she's just a phenomenal singer. That was a really good stunt cast on all fronts. You mentioned Chicago. Chicago often has good stunt casting because their audience demographic would be pulled into seeing someone like David Hasselhoff, who is like, I don't know, would you consider him A-list, maybe B-list currently? He would put butts in seats. He'd probably put my butt in a seat if I could go back and see him in Chicago. (laughs) So really, it all depends on what value is brought to the production in terms of what is hoped to achieve by the company and producers. You know, I think ultimately, for me, just the kind of person I am, if you stunt cast somebody... I'm going to go see it if it's really good or if it's really bad because I will thoroughly enjoy it either way. And I think a lot of people have that kind of curiosity. So even if it's not like a huge star, like, sure, Justin Bieber is Fierro and Wicked. Let's use that because that's hilarious. Right. Um, I would would pay hundreds of dollars for seats to that. Me too. It would be terrible, (laughs) but I would pay so much money. Uh, And I think everybody has that like, curiosity to it and that's how they make money off of the stunt cast because you're like can this person really do it and then it's great if they can and then if they don't it's hilarious and you have a story to tell your friends yeah you know it's actually funny how some stunt casting works because you have people like nick jonas who got his start on broadway and then later on became a massive star and thus was put into a stunt cast with how to succeed Hmm. I think stunt casting is an interesting topic. Thank you for sending that one in. I really enjoyed that one. (laughs) Yeah, that's another one that could be a whole separate episode. It should be. Stunt casting. Yeah, we'll do that. But for now, we have some more spicy takes for y'all. Ooh. So moving on to our third one. This submission says that Next to Normal is better than Dear Evan Hansen. Mm -hmm. Which again, I'd say that's just facts. (laughs) Um... (laughs) In the sense that, I mean, if you don't agree with me, call the people who distribute the Pulitzer Prize for drama and ask them. I'm just saying. But I also genuinely think that no musical, when it comes to tackling mental health, will ever be truly at the same level as Next to Normal. And I think that's Mm. what everything should aspire to in that vein, uh, because they did it so well. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, and I agree with this hot take. Although I do think it's interesting how people's opinions on Dear Evan Hansen have really changed over the years, since mental health has become a more discussed, in-depth conversation, right? Because people were, like, really, really, really into this. People loved the role of Evan Hansen when it first came out, and then I think just as humans we've been able to have the mental health discussions more and people are learning and people are seeing in fiction especially in in film in television in theater how people interpret mental health into art and i just think next to normal really did justice to someone living with mental health in a way that dear evan hansen didn't really do yeah 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 i I think my biggest issue with Dear Evan Hansen's take on mental health is the fact that you have this guy who's done something really shitty 
And it's played off as like, oh, it was an accident because I have anxiety. And it's like, no. No. You did a bad thing and you let it get out of control. Own up to it. And like, to me, that isn't good representation of mental health. You're making people look bad because of something they can't control. When in Evan's case, he could have, you know, like been a grown up and made the right decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I always try to hold myself accountable whenever I have a moment where I'm really mean to someone and I know it's because I'm having a lot of anxiety. It's not you. It's completely on me, you know? So, yeah, I think it's a weird way to write a character to have him be so flawed, but not really owning up to anything. I don't know, friends. I don't know. Okay, so our next hot take is, I love Hamilton and Wicket dearly, but they've had their day. They should close. <laughs> ah! Okay, okay, I'll go. I'll get into this hot take. First of all, thank you for your hot take. I still think Wicked is currently the best show on Broadway and in the West End and has been for the past 20 years in every aspect, give or take some great shows that have closed way too early. Again, that's just my opinion. I, I've said it out loud finally. I think Wicked is phenomenal. Um, I don't have much to say about Hamilton. I still can't afford a ticket, which I think is ridiculous that it's so unaffordable. <laughs> still to this day, it's been what, like eight years? Yeah, eight years as of like this week. Yeah, like, no, just cannot afford that ever. You know, again, thank you for sending in this hot take, but I'm going to disagree with you and say leave Wicked alone. She is fine. She is She's good. fine right where she is. And Honestly, I'm just going to say straight up, jokes aside, the industry needs these long-running shows to recuperate from the pandemic. We are still recuperating from the Broadway shutdown as an industry, both in um, just getting shows up and running, but especially financially. That huge financial hit that we took, in order to have room for new shows to be up and running, we need long-running shows to be raking in the money, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to like Wicked, you don't have to like Hamilton, but the fact is that the demand for these two shows has been high and steady throughout both of their runs. Wicked going on 20 years and Hamilton, as we just mentioned, with eight, right? Yeah, especially, especially in the case of Hamilton. Like Chrissy said, ticket prices for Hamilton are insane, and I will never go see Hamilton live just because on principle, I will not pay that much for a theater ticket. Um, I do love the show, though. Despite the fact that their prices are insane, they still manage to have full houses and are packed. And it's still, you know, difficult to get a ticket to Hamilton outside of just the fact that the prices are astronomical. It's because people are there and it's packed. So you can't really deny the effect that these long running shows have on the economy of A, the industry, and B, of New York City itself. It's a huge amount of money. Um, so... Yeah, I'm going to say leave the long runners where they are. We do need them. Yeah, I agree. This is my next hot take. And this is one I feel personally about. So I'm going to read it and <laughs> let you guys know what I think. Um, so this submission says that audiences should not be allowed to drink alcohol at shows. I'm going to stop you right there. There are some shows that you genuinely need a drink to get through. Wait, like what? Like, okay, wait. 
Can we say together on the count of three what we both think like our hot take of a show you really need a drink to get through? Oh, absolutely. You already okay. know my answer. Let's do this. Okay. okay? One, <laughs> two, two, three. three. Kimberly girls. Akimbo. Oh. <laughs> oh. Listen, holy crap. I don't think I would have made it through act one of Mean Girls the musical had I not been tipsy. Um, <laughs> you, were, you were laughing it up because you I were don't drinking. Think- I genuinely don't think it would have been as funny if I hadn't had to chug my cocktail before we left the restaurant at dinner. Um, And that's no shade on Mean Girls. It just wasn't for me. But (laughs) jokes aside, I think, like, I'm not recommending that you need to drink alcohol to go see a show to have fun. That's not the truth. So jokes aside, I will say that it's kind of like anything else. If you can't behave yourself, don't have the glass of wine. Like me, I'm super clumsy, so I do not take wine into a theater because I will spill it all over myself and everyone around me. That being said, if you eat popcorn in a theater (laughs) and they sell popcorn at a theater, if you are sitting beside me in the seat I paid $100 for, I will accidentally spill your popcorn all over the floor and I will not replace it. I think that's more of like a Mervish thing. Like a Canadian thing, because I don't know anywhere that actually they stopped doing it, which is amazing. They must have heard me bitching on the internet. Yeah, like (gasps) I haven't seen it lately. Anytime I get like a Mervis survey, I'm like, "Mm, no freaking popcorn for anyone. You know, I have to say, a good hot take. This does feel like something we hear more about happening on the West End, and I think maybe it's because. They just have stronger drinks because when you go to get like a drink in New York City, you can best believe you're mostly getting juice in that cocktail for $32. Um, but we, we don't have to talk about that today. <laughs> I don't know, man. I had a cocktail at Almost Famous and it was so strong. Like <gasps> I, I dumped that. it in the bathroom at intermission because there was way too much alcohol in there. I felt really rude. So, like, I took it to the bathroom and, like, secretly dumped it and then asked the lady if she would fill me up with water instead. I don't know how much of that was actually, like, strong alcohol. I think you had a lot of the blue raz in it, like, that gross alcohol, blue raspberry sourpuss stuff. I don't know. It was, there was something nasty in it. It was over. It also just, like, smelled like rubbing alcohol. And I was like, Mm. okay, I'm not doing this. Mm. Fair enough. Alrighty, so the next one is the New York critics are harsh. I'm just going to take it away and say that Go for it. all critics are harsh. That's kind of their job. Um, and not necessarily that I agree with it, but that is what they are hired to do. I think at some point, reviewing shows became more about being hypercritical than about like letting people know if it's something that they would want to see and enjoy. I mean... I am obviously not a professional by any extent of the imagination, but I do like to write reviews, and I always kind of come from the point of saying all the positive things I thought about something and sharing with people what they would like about it if they were to go. Like, my goal in writing a review Mm. is for somebody to go, hey, I'd like this. I want to go see that. And I do think that that's the lens that reviewing should have. You know, you don't want to write a mean review and be like, I want everyone to think this musical is bad. No, you want people to go out and form their own opinion. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that when you do have harsh journalism, that's kind of the norm these days. People don't even bother to go and form their own opinion. And so much weight is put on things like the New York Times review and all that. But I don't know. I've gone to shows that have re- been reviewed really badly and I've in- enjoyed them. And I've gone to shows that were reviewed really, really well and I haven't enjoyed them. So, like, I don't know. It's too personal to be so black and white. I agree with Jocelyn. Um, I also just don't really listen to reviewers. My opinion of a show usually differs from theirs anyways. One thing I will say is that I hate how much we put on the New York Times for a show to like be a success and to stay running a while. Obviously, that's not always the case, but I think we did see over the past year that it has been the case for quite a few shows to close prematurely due to their bad New York Times review. Yeah, I just think people need to go out and see shows for themselves and not take it online to be like, the New York Times said it was awful, and you know what? I bet I would agree with them. Go see it yourself, then form an opinion. That's Amen. That is it. So this next hot take says that the West End is better than Broadway. You know what? They are so different. And a few years ago, I probably would have agreed in a heartbeat. I think Broadway is more raw and authentic with their approach to shows and marketing, while the West End is more glitzy and comedic, like Land of Panto and all that. However, the West End does tend to be more um, experimental with their new musicals, and I do really appreciate that. I often reference, like, the differences between both productions of Wicket, especially based on the wigs and makeup, the West End version is like, it has a more heavier makeup look, and Glinda's wig looks a bit more of like a bright banana blonde rather than the medium blonde highlight version. I believe some of the West End costumes are a bit more glitzy too. So I think like some people seem to think Broadway is mega glam, but I think that is the West End in a nutshell. I think they're way more glam, more glamorous, more um, theatrical, if you will, which feels like a weird thing to say in comparison to Broadway. But I think the West End is just more theatrical. I don't know if that's making sense to anyone. I hope you're all either nodding or shaking your head like, I have no fucking clue what you're saying, Chrissy. That makes no sense. They are both very theatrical, but the West End feels more theatrical to me. That being said, I think I prefer the more authentic approach that Broadway has to its shows, but I'm also just like a massive West End fan. So I don't know. It's, I don't know. I don't know. If I'd say one is better than the other, I think you can prefer one to the other, but I don't know if it's necessarily better. You know, this is a take that like genuinely does not like garner a huge reaction from me either way. Like to me, it's apples and oranges. It's all fruit. It's all great Um, in the sense that they are so different, but they're also very similar. And honestly, like I don't think we need to fall into whether something is better or worse just because of small differences. Like, have your opinion, love what you love, that's totally cool. I just really don't see the point of putting two things against each other that way. Like, theater is theater. Go see it and enjoy it wherever you want to see it and enjoy it. Any live theater you're supporting is a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny too because... 
You could have the same show on Broadway and in the West End, but it's going to be performed completely different, if you know what I mean, because the actors just all have such a different um, comedic approach, and it's just the way both communities are. I mean, you're going to find things when you go to London in, I'm going to use Wicked again, Wicked per se, that you're going to find funny over there that you didn't even think to find funny when it was on Broadway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's written for different audiences exactly. from different like walks of life. And you're yeah. going to find that, you know, anywhere. It's not like it's not a huge debate of West End versus Broadway. It's mm-hmm. genuinely like where you and your demographic are from. You're going to find things funny in different places. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, who are we talking with? It was Jade from Jagged Little Pill. We were talking about how audience members reacted to jokes in Canada versus in the States. Mm -hmm. And because the show is set in the States, there were a lot of jokes that I just did not understand or things they were talking about, like, that I didn't get. Yeah. Because they were, like, American stores and stuff. And I had no clue. So, like, you can't really say if one thing is better than the other if, like, it wasn't made for you. Alrighty, so I feel like we kind of covered this a little bit, but, like, not at all. So, our next hot take is Hamilton is extremely overrated and not worth the hype. Okay, so I personally think social media and constant conversation regarding a singular show makes it seem overrated and overhyped um Hamilton is really like brilliantly written I think so would I consider it to be overrated no overhyped absolutely but only because it was so overkill at the beginning but at the same time it also just really deserves all the praise that it's received and being honest I don't think we've seen anything like Hamilton since Hamilton Before that, it was next to normal, rent, um, hair. It seems like we get these mind-blowingly brilliant musicals far between. So let's just keep, like, living it up with Hamilton until the next great thing comes along. And even then, continue to celebrate great work no matter what. I would not call Hamilton overrated or not worth the hype. I think Mm -hmm. that it is truly a well-written, well-formed, brilliant musical told in a very groundbreaking way, cast in a very groundbreaking way. Like, what Hamilton has done for musical theater is historic, and you can't throw that away or discount that based on hype. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's very, very different. It's a wonderful show. I wouldn't say it's overrated at all. I wouldn't say it's overhyped, even. Like, I still go and watch it on Disney Plus every so often. Every few months, I need like a little Hamilton fix. And I love listening to the soundtrack. There's something about it that really is just, I don't know, you just, you react to it. And I adore it. So I wouldn't even say it's overhyped. I would, however, say that it's overpriced. Um, yes. <laughs> so that's my Hamilton hot take. It's overpriced, but otherwise it's, it's pretty great. And I also love the discussions that Hamilton has brought up. I think I've talked about this before when it comes to comparing Alexander Hamilton's real life story in comparison to what is on stage. Now, these things are actually very different. And there are actually there's this book of essays. It's on Amazon. It's 13 essays. And it's about how Hamilton's cultural impact 
It's about the cultural impact that Hamilton has had. The musical. There's a book of essays mm. about the cultural impact of a musical. That's not overhype. That is bringing something that, bringing a story you're passionate about and putting it into a medium that is accessible to people, whether they like musical theater or not. People like Hamilton because it brings that musical theater stuff into the mainstream, into like a rap song you'd hear on the radio. And that's why people are so attracted to it. And I think we can't discount, discount that as overhype. The reason our feeds are so saturated with Hamilton is because it has a wide reach and is accessible to a lot of people because people either know the name or they know a song from it or they're like, hey, I like rap music, but I don't like musicals. So again, that's not hype. I think our feeds are full of it because it reaches into so many different avenues and attracts people from so many different walks of life, sight mm -hmm. on scene. All right. So our next stagey hot take here on Breaking the Curtain. Audience members are so entitled these days with no respect for the cast sometimes. I mean, Amen. say it louder. <laughs> We both 100% agree with this hot take. I don't know what yeah. it is with people not having boundaries, but we should mm. all get them. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving right along. That was easy. <laughs> all right. This next hot take is Cats is a genuinely good and enjoyable musical. People only bash it because it's easy. I think many would agree with that. Not me, but many others would. I mean, you take a look at Cats and you look at stuff like A Chorus Line and Six, and it's pretty similar in how the story is set up with everybody telling their individual story to get mm -hmm. something they want, right? For me, Cats is all about the dancing, but the music is also really brilliant. Like, I love Cats. I think it's weird, but wonderful. But the way I see it, it's like you either really, really love cats or you really, really hate cats. For whatever reason, there's a line and you fall on either side of it. <laughs> but the one thing I think everybody can agree on is that the CGI costumes for the live action movie were absolutely terrifying. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, because like, <laughs> who thought this was a good idea? Like, why do they have boobs? I can't. No, because it like it genuinely triggers something in me that gets like terrified. I can't look at any footage from the film, any trailers, any posters. I just cannot handle it. Wasn't there a thing, too, where like they were missing parts of their bodies from the CGI? Like their hands were weird, like it was human hands and not cat paws. Yeah, it was something weird like that. I've never yeah. watched the Cats movie because the CGI <laughs> and the costuming freaks me out. Yeah. Um. So I think we can agree that as much as you may love or hate Cats, we all hate the CGI for the movie more. Mm -hmm. This submission says, traditional soprano theater voices and then a less than sign. And I totally, totally disagree because... I'm really sick of everything in modern musical theater being about belting. There's something really, really beautiful about a lyric soprano moment, and I wish that modern musicals had more of them. But for me, this also goes beyond the whole soprano thing in the sense that I am really bored of musical theater performances being centered around money notes or crazy riffs. A song doesn't need to be difficult technically to be really impressive, and performances don't need to be that embellished, in my opinion. 
Just sing the song, tell the story, and that's what all it's going to come down to in the end. I mean, you can go and riff your face off, but if you're not telling the story, you've lost me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's I could again, this could be a whole other episode, but yeah, here we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't completely disagree, but I'm also very exhausted of the pop sound from almost every single performer these days. And that's not their fault either. Many of these new shows are written for that sound specifically. Um, like Six, for example. Legit soprano roles are becoming a lost art. And I think that's very, very sad. Amen. I mean, Amen. you look at people like some of my musical theater idols, like someone like Barbara Cook or Julie Andrews, the wonderful Rebecca Luker. Like there are mm-hmm. so many beautiful, wonderful sopranos out there. But all of the people that we think of are, pe- are women who are older, people yeah. who have been performing in those ingenue roles like a while ago, like even Kelly O'Hara. She still has this gorgeous soprano voice. But again, like she's not really doing as many roles lately. Actually, I don't know. I can't speak to what of Days and Wine and Roses has her doing vocally because I haven't seen it. But she's like the one person off the top of my head who is like in the mainstream now doing like the straight soprano thing. Yeah, she's the only person I can really think of. I mean, God, I can't remember her name. I think it's Maria something in Sweeney right now Mm. because Joanna, obviously, and Beggar Woman have some of that very operatic stuff. Mm -hmm. But again, that's a revival. That's not like a new show. It's not a new show. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't really like I've never sat and really thought about it. Like what roles are for like legit sopranos these days? I haven't really thought about it in a really long time, but you're so right. Everything that has a soprano, legit soprano role is a revival. Yeah, or even mm. stuff that is um I'm gonna bring up Hamilton again because we were just talking about it. You have Eliza who does sing um I you know in Burn there's some beautiful like very lyric mezzo soprano stuff which is gorgeous but it still comes to a big belt mm-hmm. you know you very rarely are seeing that lyric sound whether it's lyric soprano lyric a mezzo sound you're not always getting that without the belting you know it's funny because people tend to say for like these legit soprano roles these songs that they all sound the same but Really, I mean, and Juliet, Once Upon a One More Time, Bad Cinderella, all of these musicals, they all sound the same. Well, that's because there are like multiple musicals that have Britney Spears songs in them. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, but I mean that pop sound. I mean, you could, you can compare it to Six as well. It all sounds pretty much the same. You're not really getting anything new and thrilling and exciting, even those even though these shows themselves are really cool and exciting, the songs are just like the voices, which again, brilliant voices. But you could say that literally about those shows as well, those type of tracks as well. I think it all just comes down to preference. 
because yeah, I could totally also yeah. agree that a lot of legit soprano songs do sound the same. But then, like I said, you could say it about Six and Juliet, all these shows too. I think it comes down to like the individual performance for me. Like on a cast album, it's great. Like I love listening to like a huge belt and I'm not, this isn't me saying, oh, I hate, I hate belting. I'm so bored of it because I do love it, but I love it when it's done and feels connected to character. I think a great example of this is Casey Levy at the Tony Awards when she was doing Elsa and she did this huge opt up in Let It Go. And of course, that was phenomenal and exciting and beautifully done technically. And of course, there's a level of like, yeah, this was done for television because it's the Tony Awards. But for Elsa in that moment, she's breaking free. She's coming out of where she's coming out of hiding. She's showing who she truly is. I was like, okay, like a crazy opt up like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you see people who are belting in songs like In Jagged Little Pill. All of the belting there, I'm like, yeah, you're angry. Belt it out. Or something like No Good Deed or Defying Gravity when she's riffing. It's like, yeah, that's a good spot for a riff. I guess for me, it's more like unnecessary riffing and belting. Like for me, it has to be really character motivated for me to enjoy it in the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just crazy when you think back to when Six first came out with their EP. It sounded so fresh, and now everything sounds like Six. Mm-hmm. It's, it's funny how the trends change. That's yeah, it. That's the point. The trends change. And so if we ever want to, like, move those trends back towards, like, you know, just give me, like, one or two <laughs> shows where we have, like... A little ingenue who sings with a little <laughs> lyric soprano. She doesn't have to be an ingenue either. Just and give a me a little, little bit of that. bad on his shoulder. <laughs> it doesn't have to be like all typey. I would love to see like a super badass chick who maybe sings like a Disney princess. Like, Hallie, are you talking about me again? No, I was talking about myself, but okay. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's so many layers to it. And I think that the female voice specifically gets cast into such like specific tropes. And that mm -hmm. comes from opera. So like, that's like a whole other thing. You know, where you fall on the vocal scale kind of determines what role you play or whatever, which whatever. And so I think you need to kind of, we need to break out of that. Yes. Yeah. But I also think we need a variety of voices because not everybody has the same speaking voice. Why do we all need to have the same singing voice? Amen. Good one. Anyway. Yeah. This is a good conversation starter. I'm very, fired up. Very good one. Thank you for submitting that hot take. Okay, so our next hot take is bigger shows aren't always the best. Smaller shows are sometimes better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree with this, especially in the sense that there's so many ways to define like a small show. Is it a show with a small cast? Is it something that's maybe done regionally or locally or, you know, not in a big Broadway or West End house? Like, how do mm -hmm. you define a smaller show? But I think it opens up the way to say absolutely yes to all of these different reasons. Yeah. Um, there's so much to be learned and taken in in a show that either has a smaller cast or going and seeing a local production like 
a lot of them are really fabulous and it's always so surprising and wonderful to see how much talent there is in your community right and so well i think said. we can all be like big broadway or bust and it's like eh, eh. let's broadway is amazing but theater is more than just broadway a lot of the time these small shows that we reference become massive successes like rent mm -hmm. like heathers yep. like six the musical that was that what the fringe festival edinburgh and fringe festival massive all of these shows are great all of them have a start somewhere so yeah totally agree tens across the board with that one <laughs> i like this next one so this submission says, if you're going to see a show set in high school, you can't really complain about annoying teen fans. Mm. And I 100% agree with this. But to a certain extent, I am a stickler for theater etiquette. And it kind of comes down to what I was saying about whether or not you have a drink at the theater or not. If these teen fans can come in and they can enjoy the show and be respectful and have fun and just be aware of the people around them, then absolutely come out, be a big fan, go all the way, be the goofy teenage fan you are, because we all have an inner one. But it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter if you're a fan, if you're not going to be respectful of the space you're in, then yeah, I'll be annoyed. Yeah. Great hot take. Um, totally agree. I will say, like, never had an issue with teen fans in the audience have had like an angry mob of like 60 somethings come after us so i mean throw back throw back so really i mean never had an issue with teen fans so can't really comment and say really anything about it i think yeah we've only had like people who were in their 60s being rude to us at theater shows which sounds ridiculous but it's so true <laughs> okay so this one is diana the musical is actually so good it's very campy and i think it'll come back like carrie i think <laughs> i think it was maybe a tad before its time i also think filming it for netflix release was a horrible idea because it gave way to more judgment especially because I, I believe it was released like during the pandemic when we were all on our couch and had absolutely nothing else to do. We weren't going to shows. So this was like the only one that came out at that time. Um, if my memory is correct, and I think it is. I'm personally not a fan of the music, but I thought the cast were phenomenal. I don't know if it's going to come back per se. I don't know if it would have that big, you know, the thing with Carrie, it's a cool comparison. And I like that. Um, thank you for comparing it to Carrie. It gives me a little something to chat about here. <laughs> um, with Carrie, it bombed so bad and was just so outrageous. Diana doesn't have that pull as much in the sense that like people were still talking about Carrie up until the revival and wondering the mystery of what happened what went wrong with carrie it was kind of like an urban legend if you will diana like kind of died down quickly the chatter about it there is an upcoming concert version in the uk happening. that's an entirely different show. what yeah so it's a different diana musical <gasps> i believe so it's 
I think it's meant to be more serious than camp. I'm not sure. But I'm like 90% sure sure it's a totally different show. Yeah. Because there's two shows. There's one that I know is different. And there's another that I think is the same writers. And they're like tweaking it a bit to be a concert. Ooh, are we right or wrong about this? I have to go look that up after. I could be totally wrong. But I'm like (gasps) 90% sure because I clicked on it. And I was like, it's really weird they do this in the UK. And then I was like, oh, it's some, it's different. And I was like, that makes sense. I can't really agree or disagree with this hot take because I still have yet to see Diana the Musical. That being said, it's still on like my watch list on Netflix. So I'll have to do it one day because I am very curious. At the end of the day, I think it was way, way, way too early to do anything about Diana, especially to put a campy spin on Diana. I don't know how much of it was actually trying to be that campy, though. I feel like it just started unraveling into camp without necessarily trying to be camp. Do you know what I mean? I do, but also I can't really talk about that right, again. Yeah, I haven't okay. seen it. Right. But I think ultimately, like, it was just way too early. It's kind of like, you know how Bonnie and Clyde flopped on Broadway? Yeah. And if Bonnie and Clyde was too soon and that was in the 1930s compared to 2010, it is like way too early for Diana. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. You know, you want at least like I think a hundred years when you're doing historical stuff. <laughs> you um, know otherwise what, people are gonna get pissy. I love I love this hot take. I love that the person who sent it in loves Diana or enjoys Diana. So yeah. Diana's the one with the fuckity 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 fuck dress, right? The fuckity fuckity fuck you dress, yeah. Thank you. The fuckity fuckity fuck dress. <laughs> You know what? Maybe they were going for camp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're going to look me in the eye and say, yeah, I don't think they were trying for camp when they wrote a song about a fuck knew. you dress. Like, yeah. Oh, mm. my God. All right. I love this one. I have lots to say on this one. So this hot take is that jukebox musicals are very overrated. I just miss the old classic shows. Mm. Chrissy, let me go with this. Yeah, please take it away. All right, hold on to your your fuckity fuckity fuck you dress. Hold on to your fuckity fuckity fuck you dress because I have some things to say. <laughs> now, I am a fan of old classics. I'm a golden age girly. Um, so I'm just saying that to give us where I stand on this. But nothing genuinely brings me joy the way that a well-crafted jukebox musical does. People have had a rough few years. They want to go see something fun with music they know. Like, I really don't think it's that deep. Um, (laughs) I'm also going to go a step further here because I co-host this podcast and I can. And I'm just going to add my own hot take by mentioning that some of the earliest musicals in existence were jukebox musicals. If we're looking even as far back as to the 1920s and 1930s at musical reviews, they were using popular tunes of the day to string together a story because they knew that was what their audience would enjoy. They knew that was the kind of music their audiences wanted to hear. Jukebox musicals are not some new cultural phenomenon. Jukebox musicals have been around since the very beginning of musical theater, and they are here to stay. So... See, I love a jukebox musical, but I feel like the West End pumps them out so frequently these days to the point where now it's like, hmm, I've never even heard of this artist. Do we really need that? (laughs) Or, God, how do I even? 
Okay, so there's a musical that I think just opened in the West End. Um, it is a jukebox musical, but I thought it was going to be a bio jukebox musical, and I was very excited about that. I was like, oh, this is a really good story to tell. And then I learned that it's just like one of those mashup jukebox musicals with like a, a subpar plot and like just a weird thing to mash up into a musical. And it's like we have so many of those now that I just don't think we need more. Um, I do really like the bio musicals, though. The, sorry. The, yeah, I guess you could say bio musical. They are yeah. all jukebox musicals at the end. Um, I love a good bio jukebox musical. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing that's bothering me these days are like the fairy tale ones. I think I'm very sick of that <laughs> trope. Is trope is that what you would say am i cool yeah genre subgenre the genre of fairy subgenre yeah subgenre of fairy tale jukebox musicals thank you that you're welcome um i'm very tired of those very tired i would have preferred once upon a one more time to be a britney bio musical that would have sold really well in my opinion I think that my hot take is just I'm really tired of jukebox musicals getting so much slander in the sense that like, sure, maybe they're not for everyone, but you can't deny that they're popular and something doesn't have to be deep for you to love it. So Jocelyn today was like, what if we added our own hot takes at the end? And I was like, oh, God, that sounds (laughs) horrible and scary. And we're going to get kicked off the platform um no i'm just kidding (laughs) meanwhile the whole episode i've been like you know what my hot take is you know what mine is um (laughs) no these are these are our hot takes that we are going to read to you now do you want me to go first you go first because i still don't know what mine is so my hot take is people can be a little too quick to defend their quote faves when something is brought up that isn't good about them actors are humans and yes they can also be shitty humans like all of us can be or be really mean people who happen to be excellent at their job of performing i think you and i both can speak from experience about this so yeah i guess what i'm saying is Uh, Don't be so quick to defend someone who has done something mean or wrong simply because they are one of your favorite performers. That sums it up really nicely. (laughs) I think I did a good job. Good job. I think we've been through enough with that. (laughs) Yeah, I think we did. I think that was a very delicate explanation. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just like, be kind on the internet. Be kind on the internet. That's also not to shame anyone who has done that. I've totally, totally been that person when I was younger who was like, oh my god, no, like Justin Bieber would never. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, just be kind and believe people who have really awful experiences with people, even if they are a performer. Yeah. Yeah. Nicely done, my friend. Thank you. That took a lot of um courage to say (laughs) a lot of courage and a lot of um, rewording um (laughs) no you told the story much nicer than I would have so good job thank you I've been thinking about like what my hot take is and 
You guys have heard a lot of them over the course of the episode, so I'll try to keep it short and sweet, and I'll try to say this in like the nicest possible way I can. But I feel like my hot take is that people take being a theater fan way too seriously. And I think Mm -hmm. it ties into what Chrissy's saying, too, with like being so quick to defend somebody you don't even know or like following an actor from stage door to the subway. Again, someone you don't even know, like these sorts of things that we hear and see about or theater fans who are so quick to criticize and tear down performances and shows and actors. And it's like, I get it that it's the age of the internet. Everyone has an opinion. I say as I'm on my podcast telling you all of my opinions. We got to be nice about it, man. Some people really like to think like they watch two musicals and now they're the New York Times theater critic. Is that is that a little harsh, maybe? But No, I totally get what you're like, saying. Stop taking it so seriously. Being a fan is supposed to be fun. Go see a musical and enjoy it. If you don't like it, you could say, hey, this wasn't for me, but glad I went and had the experience. That kind of falls into what we had discussed earlier about like the 60-year-old somethings coming at us for... I'll share a bit quickly because it it fits Um, without getting into too much details. (laughs) We had an opinion that we enjoyed a show. They hated it and they came at us for that. (laughs) What we are saying is just be nice all around. If you have an opinion that differs, that's okay. You don't have to like the same thing and you don't have to go after someone who does or doesn't. I just think fan fan culture can be so toxic. Like Mm -hmm. this hot takes episode, like some people might listen to what we've said and might be super duper offended. Yeah. Um, And if you are listening to this episode and you're offended, I'm sorry, but (laughs) maybe just don't listen to (laughs) this episode. (laughs) Um, Because I think it's so easy to like care about what other people think and it's so easy to like if you have a negative opinion just automatically share it if i'm watching a show and i don't like something i'm not gonna tell the world i'm not even gonna talk about it when i leave the theater lin-manuel miranda has this thing he calls it the 10 block radius if you are 10 blocks from the theater do not talk shit about it because anybody can hear you who could be related to someone working in the show or is working in the show or is related to the show in literally any capacity. (laughs) Me, my job is I don't freaking talk about it until I get at home. Yeah. Do you remember um, we were, okay, so we were leaving the Coast Starlight. Is that the name? Yeah. I always mess it up. I want to call it the Starlight Express. Me too. I'm done. Um. (laughs) Will Harrison. Will Harrison. I know his name. So we are leaving the theater and there's two people in front of us. It's pouring rain, right? So Jocelyn pulls out her umbrella and opens it and she says something like, I like this one. I guess the people ahead thought we were talking about the play because I said, well, it's not like the funny girl show one. I meant the umbrella they saw at the merch table. And they thought I meant like I was comparing Funny Girl to this play. Because <laughs> they turned and he like laughed at me. Yeah, the guy looked at you like you were nuts. But the story actually gets better. So the rest of it, oh, as we're going, dude. we had just met the wonderful Will Harrison, who is just so kind and fabulous and talented and 
we obviously have huge crushes on him because he's phenomenal. Anyway, we had just met him. And so we're walking up the road and Chrissy thinks we're clear because she's short and she can't see as far as I can. So I put up the umbrella and she goes, oh my God, he was so cute and so nice. She's saying all good things, right? He is literally <laughs> leaning across the wall right where we're like walking by. He's leaning <laughs> against the wall. air my laundry. He's leaning against the wall, smoking a cigarette and Chrissy's going, he was so cute, blah, blah, I'm in love with him. And I was literally like, I started talking over her. I was like, wow, Chrissy, this is some rain we're getting. I'm glad I brought an umbrella. And she was like, what are you doing? And then we finally get up like a couple blocks away. And I'm like, yeah, he's super adorable. It was great. And she goes, Jocelyn, he might hear you. And I was like, no, because he heard you a block ago. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So what we are saying is don't talk about anything until you're a few blocks ahead. Because even if it's good, you know, it even might be a little good. embarrassing for you. Although I'm pretty sure he knew. We thought he was cute because we were oh. both blushing. Um, so I'm pretty sure he, he could tell. I'm not embarrassed. He's a cutie patootie. So that was our hot takes episode. I hope you all took away something or didn't or formed an opinion of some sort, good or bad. That's okay. That's what this episode's for. I think it was a good conversation starter. That's kind of why we did this. We were like, okay, I don't want people to send anything mean in because we definitely won't read. And none of you did from, I wouldn't say any of it was mean at all. Which I, I love. Prompts. No submissions were too. like mean or like pitting people against each other yeah, or tearing anything it. down. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love that our little community here for breaking the curtain is so wonderful in that way. So thank you for being awesome. Thank you. So we do have one announcement to share. This is our last normal episode until November. Starting in September, you know, things get stagey and spooky over here. So we are kicking off with a very cool Buffy the Vampire Slayer (gasps) crossover episode that you will have to stay tuned for because it's it's a lot of fun. It's really Y'all, a lot of fun. This is literally my dream collab. It is with Prophecy Girls. They are a Canadian-based mm-hmm. Buffy rewatch podcast. This collab has been like two years in the making. As soon as we had yeah. a musical theater podcast and I saw that they had a Buffy rewatch podcast, I was like, us Canadian podcast babes have to stick together. Let's cross over. Let me know when you get to season six. <laughs> and they did. And they did. So we all got together about a week ago over Zoom and had a great chit chat. And you will hear that early September. And then from September right into October, we have a lot of really fun, spooky show history episodes about all of your favorite creepy musicals. So yeah, this is our last normal episode for a little while. But when we come back with our regular episodes in november we have a lot of really cool ones packed and ready for you too but i'm sure you're all gonna stick with us from september through october because we know you love the stagey spook series as much as we do so once again thank you so much for listening and chat to you in the next episode bye everybody